Good morning. This is the third Sunday in Advent. Traditionally, this is the Sunday of joy. It marks the midpoint through Advent, halfway to the birth of Christ. And we're going to look at four scriptures this morning that are going to speak to that. First, if you have your Bibles, will you turn with me to the book of Psalms? We're going to read Psalm 146. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. (coughs) When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. Blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed. He gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind and lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner. He sustains the fatherless and the widow. But but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever, your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. That's a pretty joyful description of what God will do. And then we're going to go look in Isaiah, chapter 35. And we're going to look at the first ten verses. Isaiah at this point a little more encouraging than Amos at some points. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance and with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer and the mute tongue shall shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool and the thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow and a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there, and those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. Sorrow and sighing will flee away. Again, very joyful. Now we're going to go to the book of James. Chapter 5, 
and we're going to learn, look at verses 7 through 10. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too should be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. And we're going to finish our third reading. Our fourth reading is going to be from Matthew chapter 11. And I'm not just picking these as kind of Bible aerobics. This is actually the traditional common lectionary reading for the third Sunday of Advent. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to, to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. As John's disciples were, leave, were t- leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. True, I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. The word of the Lord. Well, like I say, this is the traditional, this is the Sunday of joy. And actually, all these verses are going to speak to joy. And I have to laugh because there is a little bit in James I jumped over uh, because it would not be readily apparent how it speaks to joy. And we're going to go back and look at that in a second. But these are the messianic promises that Israel was looking forward to. And Israel at this time, at the time of Jesus, was in that position of having fallen and gone into exile. And, you know, they're waiting the Messiah to come and restore their fortunes. And they're looking for very specific things. They're looking for a restoration. But they kind of forgot the narrative. They forgot what the Messiah that they were promised was supposed to do. And they were looking for different types of Messiahs. That's why... When Jesus is in prison, Pilate says, hey, shall I give you Jesus? And they go, no, give us Barabbas. And you hear how Barabbas was a murderer. Actually, he was a revolutionary leader. And when they're asking for him, they're very much in keeping with what they've been looking for for a Messiah. Don't give us this Jesus guy that told us blessed are the poor and the meek. Give us this guy that killed some people in the revolution. That's 
That's the Messiah we want. That is not a Messiah of joy. That is a Messiah of violence. And the world, the problem with the world, the problem that it needs to be redeemed from is that system of violence. Well, when we get these descriptions in Psalms and in Isaiah, God is talking about rescuing the world from that cycle. He's talking about taking the places that are dry and desert and barren and restoring them to life. That's both literal and metaphorical, the places in our own lives that are... And he talks about taking the system of this world with all its injustice and its inherent brutality, its unfairness, its cruelty, and putting that aside... In last week's reading from Isaiah, we got the famous passages of the lion lying down with the lamb. You know, you lion chewing straw with the ox. When I first became a Christian, it was very pop, very popular to read that and say, see, God is going to so change creation at some point that lions are going to eat grass. <coughs> That's not really what Isaiah is saying. It is very common throughout the Bible for animals and beasts and really strange-looking beasts to represent humans and human power. So when we get these images of wolves and lions no longer being dangerous, it's not talking about, you know, you're not going to see a lion eating a zebra. What it is talking, though, is humans are no longer going to get along by advancing their cause by feeding on each other. We're no longer going to be preying on each other to advance our cause. We're not going to be participating in the sin of Cain anymore. That way of doing things is going away. This is a Messiah who is going to give us hope, who is going to give us joy. He's going to deliver us from them, those things. When it talks in this week's section of Isaiah, when it talks about there being no terrible beasts on that road to Zion, that's what it's talking about. The world will change. But the world changes by being different. And that difference starts in the hearts of God's people. One of the reasons Israel was in the situation it was, needing a Messiah, with the kingdom passing away from it, is they forgot who they were. They forgot what their purpose was. They forgot what their calling was. And we talk all the time about God's plan of restoring his creation, not just saving some people out of it, but restoring the whole thing. He made a creation that he said was very good. That's what he intended. He intended a creation for him to dwell in and fellowship with us in. And he's not content to let that project be destroyed, but work redemption. And he started that plan of redemption through a man named Abram and through his family, which became the nation of Israel. But they forgot that. They saw themselves as a nation, now, a nation who had the favor of God, to be sure. You know, we're God's people, but not as God's ambassadors, but as a nation who had the, the strong, strong God on their side. That temptation is still with us today. We can forget. We for, can forget who we are. We can misunderstand the narrative. We can misunderstand our place in the narrative. At Advent, we celebrate the coming of God into the world to redeem it. 
God came into the world as a baby. God emptied himself of everything and humbled himself to becoming a baby, the most helpless creature on earth. Babies aren't even potty trained. That was the God of the universe coming into the world. That is humility. So when God asks humility of us, we're never going to match that. So we don't have to worry about that. There's, um, in, in my past, before I was redeemed, I was a punk rocker. I became a Christian and discovered metal music. So, you know, that's, that's one of my transformations that God worked in my life. But anyway, there was a band I really, really liked when I first became a Christian called the Altar Boys. And they had this song called Silent Night, which is not the traditional Silent Night. And it's just kind of a litany of everything that's wrong with the world. And then it has this refrain that somewhere a baby cries, the voice of God calling to a fallen world. That's what this is. That's what God is coming into the world. One of the great ironies of, of contemporary Christian history and pop culture is that the gospel is all about God coming into the world, and we had this definite period um, in, in North American Christianity where we were all about waiting to get out of the world. Like, the hope of the gospel is that we're going to get yanked out of here. No, no, that's not it. The hope of the of glory is that God is coming into creation. The Bible tells us Christ in us is the hope of glory. That's, that's the hope of redemption for everything else, not for us to be yanked out, like, you know, pararescue is going to come down and get us out, but that the king is coming in. He's starting with us. He's changing the world, and he is starting with us, and he is making us into a joyful kingdom. We are to be people of joy. <clears throat> What does that look like? Well, that's where you get this great passage in Matthew. John the Baptist is now imprisoned. He's going to die soon. And he, he knew he had a call of God on his life, and he, he thought he was being very faithful to it. But now as he's in prison, he's asking questions. If you've ever been in ministry and things didn't go the way you thought they would, you will find yourself going, did I hear you right, God? I mean, was I, was I off in the weeds here? Or is just this looks different? And it's very instructive what Jesus tells his, John's disciples. He says, tell them what you see. And he goes back and he gives them this description of what was promised in Isaiah happening. And it's the blind receive sight, the lame walk. It's all this change in healing. He does not say, Tell him, hey, look at all these big crowds. Look at this following. Look, we have the ear of the king or the president or whoever. He doesn't say that. That is not a sign of the advancing kingdom. Changed lives is a sign of the advancing kingdom. It's not about numbers. Matter of fact, Jesus preached one of his most profound truths. Everybody left him but his disciples. You know, at that point, Jesus asked them, he said, you guys going to go too? And, you know, they laid it out and they said, where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. With God is life, but not always with God is popularity or power. 
Jesus talks about power. And we don't, we don't realize he does because we tend to shy away from certain verses. And so when we hear things like, oh, it's harder for a, a rich man to get into heaven than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Man, there has been more silliness spewed about that verse about, oh, well, he, you know, he wasn't really saying what you think he was. No, he really was. He's saying when you have power, when you have security, it's hard to trust God. For all of us, I feel like, I, I feel like I must be doing better with God when my bank account is good and I can see the next several months taken care of. That's not true. That has nothing to do with my spiritual state, but it feels that way. There was a time in the life of the church, and for a certain segment of the church, there still is a time where financial prosperity is taken as a sign of, of God's, uh, God's favor. You can be a good Christian and have money. That is absolutely true. But having money is not a sign of great faith or great things. But it's not just money. It's also power. As Christians, we could get enamored of the way the world does things, and we think we have to be like that too. So we can be like Israel. Israel's like, we're a nation, but we got God on our side. The church can tend to see ourselves as another tribe, but we got God on our side. And when we see ourselves that way, we get very concerned about things God isn't concerned about, like having power. God isn't concerned that much with whether or not we have power. The the best time in the life of the church was when it had absolutely zero power. It was slaves, outcasts, the funny-looking people, Yankees, just the most despicable. You know, just really, sorry. 20 years up here, I'm repenting. Northerners can be saved. Through much prayer. No. <laughs> but I mean, the church had no power and it exploded because they were people of joy. It's, I've mentioned this before. One of my favorite books is uh, by a professor named Larry Hurtado, and it's Why on Earth Did Anybody Become a Christian in the First Three Centuries? Because the downside was pretty severe. You would be tortured, put to death, dragged in front of courts. But the church did great. They had favor. They had favor with God. They didn't need favor with the emperor. When you get worried about your access to the emperor, you might be less worried about your access to God. And you forget that you're supposed to be people of joy and you start to become people of concern, people of worry. Uh, A year ago, I went to a ministry conference that was interesting and as a result of that I got on the mailing list from the sponsoring organization and get their literature sent to me because I took one from the team and even though I wasn't the only one from our church going yes it was my email address but uh anyway I get these emails like can the church survive you know of course Unless you don't believe the whole thing and you think Jesus was joking when he said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell won't, won't prevail against it. The church will be just fine. No matter who's in the White House, no matter which party is in Congress, no matter 
which party rules parliament or whatever form of government you have. The church will be just fine. It's Jesus' job to build the church. There's not an existential threat to it. If you think there is, you might miss what's going on. So look around. Are the blind receiving their sight? Are the lame walking? That's good news. That's joyful news. That is news that creation has changed, that something different is going on. So I reconnected with uh, an acquaintance of mine, actually a really good friend of mine, um, recently. And we had a good time together, and we were talking, and, and this friend of mine is involved in a, a large Christian organization and has a, a, a more significant role in it than... Uh, anyway, we were, we were talking about another one of our friends um, who is also in ministry and who is in New England. And uh, the friend I was having dinner with said, well, you know, he's the way he is, I don't see him having much impact where he is. Because what he meant is there's not like tons of people coming to his church. There's not more butts in the pews. Now, I have been to that church. I've actually gotten to preach at that church, which was a real honor. And there are some really deep people there whose lives are getting deeper, who have changed the direction of their lives. That is impact. That is significance. That doesn't always show up. Now, (laughs) that was one thought. My other thought was, gee, what do you think of me? Because I'm in Campton. Tiny, but that's not what you say. You don't. When somebody asks you, "Hey, is 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 God doing something there?" You don't say, "Oh yeah, you know we have, we have you know so many people." I have been part of those churches. I have been part of churches where just as the singles pastor, I had a larger group than a lot of church that would be a a huge church in New England. Um, It doesn't mean anything. Numbers don't mean anything. What means anything is are are the lame being healed? You know, are the blind seeing? That's that's the standard we're we're given. People will talk about, well, you know, you, you judge things by their fruit. You absolutely do, but there's nowhere in the New Testament where numbers are given as fruit. What are we given as fruit? We're given peace, love, joy, kindness, long-suffering, humility. If you see that, you can go, yeah. Yeah, that Messiah you were waiting for, he's here. Look what's going on. That changes things. And at times, that does lead to growth. I mean, you do have that description in Acts of, you know, the disciples found favor with everyone, and day by day the Lord added to their number those that were being saved. And we do want to see more people come to the Lord. But if you chase the numbers, if you chase significance, you miss faithfulness, you miss healing, you miss joy. Now, not to hammer anybody, but the friend I was meeting with is, like I said, he's part of a large organization that has in their DNA that your measure of success is these numbers. 
They don't think that's in their DNA. It's in their DNA. (laughs) And because of it, you end up in situations where you have big crowds, but sometimes it doesn't look like this. And if it doesn't look like this, it doesn't look like the Messiah. Because where Messiah comes, the lame walk, the blind receive their sight. It is a joyful thing. And you can be joyful, even if the circumstances around you are fairly horrible. You cannot have power. You can have people dragging you off to face lions or colts. Never mind, that's a bad joke. Um, <laughs> thank, you for, thank you for translating. <laughs> Or cults, yes, certainly. That's why I was confused. Certainly, and if you're a fan of the cults, you're probably in a cult, but um, <laughs> never mind. Um, uh, the, the biggest ungodly cult out there is Cowboys fans, but uh, I can't get over the past. I'm the last Oilers fan left. Um, but anyway, you can handle not having power if this is what's going on. If this isn't what's going on, if the measure of the success of your gospel is size and power, you can't handle not having power because that's, that's, your, mes- that's your measure of, of the messianic uh, presence. If the measure of the messianic presence is we got large crowds and we have, we have clout, you can lose that. Just like Prosperity Gospel found out, if the measure of your success is having a lot of money, you can lose that. But if the measure of your success is transformed lives, it's much harder to lose that. And in James, it's interesting that right before he talks about endurance and patience and suffering, he warns the rich people. That's what immediately precedes that. He says, listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that's coming on you all on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. If that's where your hope is, yeah, that's not eternal. That won't last. That's not a cause for joy. But if your cause for joy is the change the Messiah brings, that joy will last. That's why we're people of joy. We need to remind ourselves of that because can be a long time waiting but you need to remind yourself of what's already happened and this is a good season for that